So this morning brings us to chapter 8, part 2, and the book Deity and Decree by Samuel Renahan, which we've been using as a guide to our study of the attributes of God. So part 2 is uh, the creature's <clears throat> communion with the triune God. Now we talked about this a little bit last week. We'll pick it up again this week, and then we'll look at our union with, with God. Okay. Now the Bible says, I think we would all agree with this if you're here, and I recognize your faces, um, I assume you agree. The Bible says that God made us, right? That's one of the, the early questions uh, in, the, in the catechism. Who made you? God made me. What else did God make? God made all things, right? He created us. We are the work of his hands. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And then let me have someone read Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created Okay, thank you. So because God created us, and as creatures made by God, we have a natural obligation to worship God. So it is our, our duty to our creator. It's, it's worship. Romans 1, 21 and 24 through 25, I'm going to read here that sort of draws this out a bit. For although they knew God, so uh, men by, na- by nature, uh, when I say men, men, women, all of us by nature, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. In verse 24, therefore, God gave them up and the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So there's a Romans 1 says, God has uh, plainly, clearly revealed himself in the things that he has made. And so we know that what God has revealed about himself, it, it gets through, it, it penetrates, because God is the one who has revealed it. Scripture says he's clearly or plainly done it. And at the same time, we see in Romans 1, 21 and 24 to 25, that Although we know God, we do not honor him or give thanks to him or worship him, right? Instead, we exchange what is due to God. We exchange it and we give it to created things. Um, Usually when we think about worship of created things, we can imagine, um, you know, false worship in a, you know, country that's foreign to us and 
that happened a long time ago and they are bowing before something that has the head of a bird and the body of a lion and wings and these, these other things or some type of totem pole or something. Uh, but this is the worship of anything not God. Because anything not God is created. Right? We exchange the glory due to God for the things that God made. And because we do that, it says that because we uh, exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship those things, uh, God has given us up, um, many up to those impure desires. But we can see here that we do, men do have an obligation to worship God as his, as his creatures. Uh, it's expected of us. And yet we, we deny it and we exchange that worship for other things. Our worship of God is our obligation to God. We have a natural obligation also in that worship as obedience. Our obedience is to our triune God. Now, I can speak for myself and say that when I think about obedience to God, I often think about obedience to the Father. God gives us his good and holy commands, and it is our duty. Uh, to worship, to obey. But as the redeemed, it is our privilege also to, to obey. As saints, we obey the Father who commands us to hear his Son. Let me have someone read Matthew 7, 5. Or, sorry, 17, 5. There in your handout. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. All right, so we see there an obedience to uh, the father, as he says, listen to my beloved, my, my son, <clears throat> Christ. And then Luke 9, 35, someone read that. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Okay. So more scripture that shows us uh, we have ought to be obedient to the Father. But saints also are to be obedient to the Son. We obey the Son. He commands us to go to the nations to proclaim the good news of salvation. Let me have someone read there Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Right, so Christ clearly here gives a command, instruction to, to the church, which we ought to obey as, as the church, people of God, <clears throat> temple of God. But Christ also gives commands to us to obey for the purity and holiness of the church. Right, so we're, we're thinking again about our obedience to God. We, we worship God. He ought to be worshiped. Uh, the redeemed have more reasons to worship, privilege in that. But we also obey God. We obey the Father. We obey the Son. Matthew eighteen fifteen. If a brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. 
If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. So Christ's giving instructions, clear instructions to his church here that we ought to, to obey. Um, fortunately, this is one of those uh, areas of scripture that often get ignored in, in church life. Um, but these are Christ's commands to his church. And this is how uh, the church is guarded in her, her purity and her holiness um, so that it's, it's not whatever everyone thinks is right in their own eyes, but what Christ has commanded to his church for, for her good. So we are obligated and privileged to obey God's commands, which are always good. In scripture, we see commands from God the Father, from God the Son, and from God the Holy Spirit. The saints obey what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation 2.7, someone can read that for us. Okay, thank you. And then Revelation 2.17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden mana, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Okay. <clears throat> then Revelation 2.11. Someone read that. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Thank you. So we see that when we think about obedience to God, <clears throat> even in my own thinking, I shouldn't just think about obedience to the Father, mm -hmm. but obedience to the Son and obedience to the Holy Spirit. Right? So all of these verses, and really this whole class, is to help us to think about our God as triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay? Yes, please. Is it proper to understand it like when we say that we obey isolate them but at the same time see them as a whole in other words that they do overlap in a mysterious way we can't really say oh this is strictly from the spirit oh this is strictly from the father this is strictly from the son poor analogy would be like to listen to a uh, classical music concert okay you can sort of hear the violin by itself but you're also hearing the whole, and then you isolate it to say uh, the, the uh, transverse flute, and, and so on and so on. So would that be somewhat of a language that can help us understand obedience to the members of the Trinity? Yeah, I think so. When we think about obedience to God, um, and just even thinking about the scriptures, we just 
looked at. So Matthew 18, for instance, where Christ gives this command to his church, his disciples, to his church. We can, we can read that and see uh, that the Son, Jesus Christ, is giving this command to the church and recognize that, as we see in Scripture, as from the Son. But we also recognize that our God is triune. So the language you use, and the language we've been trying to, to use throughout the class is um, distinction without division, right? So mm-hmm. we want to maintain that God is one simple being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, one God eternally exists in three persons, but at the same time, follow scripture using the language of scripture, the thought of scripture to recognize where we see commands from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we, you know, to, to your point, we ought always to think about God as triune. Uh, but at the same time, we can look at scripture and see specific um, commands. <clears throat> we can look at Matthew, you know, 15 or 18, 15, and even recognize this as um, commands by the spirit, right? Um, so it's not to say necessarily that you can say, well, and, and you may find that's in other denominations, but well, that's, that's Jesus talking, um, and therefore we must obey that, but we look at other scriptures where it's not the red letter in the Bible and say, well, that's not Jesus talking, and sort of view it as lesser, because all of scripture was written by God, and as where it says, men wrote, spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. No prophecy was ever breathed out by men, but men spoke as they were carried by the Holy Spirit. So there's, there's always that mystery and sometimes that tension, but distinction without division maybe is a good term to keep in mind. <laughs> um, okay. Now let's think about our union with the triune God. Our union with the triune God. In Samuel Renahan's book, he asked Christians to pause and rest. And he says we should take a moment to meditate on the truth that all the redeemed are united to God. Every believer has the same access to God and the same union with Jesus Christ as you do. And you have the same access to God and union with Christ as any other saint. Um, that includes the Apostle Paul. That includes Matthew, Jesus' disciple. Uh, that includes uh, Abraham and King David. And any, any, any believer who has ever believed has been saved, redeemed because of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think of someone, I don't know, that you really admire and you say, man, I wish I had faith like that person, that, that Christian, that neighbor, that friend. They must be really close to God. <clears throat> it's interesting when I get around my family, they'll say, oh, yeah, that's uh, Teresa's son. He's, he's the preacher. And they'll say, all right, preacher, man, pray for me because I know God hears you. And then it's just like a thing in my family. And it's like, sometimes I just, okay, I, I don't, I want to address that, <laughs> but I got to go. 
in other times, I get into a conversation. Well, we all have, any true believer has the same access to God through Jesus Christ because, and then the gospel. And it's a good opportunity to be able to talk and stuff. But that's a common idea. You know, people think about these figures in the world and say they're really close to God. They have this better access. They're closer to heaven um, than, than, than I am. And that's just not the case. Um, any true believer has union with Christ by the Spirit. Salvation is Trinitarian, and it is God working in that. Okay? So, again, no saint is any closer to God than you are. The Holy Spirit dwells in every true believer, which means that we are in Christ. So I want to spend some time thinking about this um, truth, uh, the doctrine of union with Christ, that we are in Christ. And I think this also helps when we think about um, believers, who we have no reason to suspect that they're not believers. Um, they have fruit. There's evidence there. You know, um, we, they're, they're, they're true believers, but at times we can view them as second-rate believers. They're, they're believers, but they really need to you know, do this, and then they'll be there. Or they're believers, but they really need to start reading these books, and then they'll be, be there. Now, we recognize the doctrine of sanctification, Christian maturity. Uh, Christians can often get into cycles of, I don't know, uh, depression or separation, where they're just not doing well, and you want them to start reading things to help them in their sanctification, and you want them to start um, being knit to the saints and praying and other things that you desire, which are good things for them. But if they are a true believer, their access, their union with Christ is the same, and it does not change. And even that believer in whatever uh, temporary you know, despondency, discouragement they're in, they will be loved no more on that great day when we stand before the Lord as they are at that moment of their deepest, darkest depression. That's because we have union with Christ by the Spirit, and that doesn't change, right? And that can be an encouragement to them even and inform how we view them and view ourselves. Um, that's an aside, but something I want us to remember. So Jesus Christ is in the Father according to his deity, and he's at the Father's right hand according to his humanity. Our God is triune, a triune God. Um, the God of, is, God, our God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In God's divine providence, he graciously determined to communicate himself to creation through covenant. Believers have a positive relationship with God through union with him. Our union with God is a covenantal union. What God promises to you is experienced through the new covenant. Um, there's a really helpful book um, from Adam to Christ. It's a, a compilation of Nehemiah Cox and John Owen together. Um, a really, really helpful book. It's, it can be weighty, but it's, it's really good to think about um, our union with, with Christ and how God... Um, communicates himself through, through covenants. But 
when we think about our union with God, union with Christ through the new covenant, what Old Testament passage maybe comes to mind that articulates the new covenant and new covenant stipulations and promises and what God will do? What comes to mind? Jeremiah somewhere. Well, you're you're in the <laughs> you're in the right book. <laughs> Take that answer. Yes, thirty-one. That's uh, that's where I was going. There are other places you can go, but that's where I was going. Jeremiah thirty-one, um, thirty-three to thirty-four. Someone want to read those verses for us? Jeremiah chapter thirty-one, verses thirty-three to thirty-four. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Okay. In these passages, we see a new covenant, something that's distinct, different, promised, accomplished by God. Our God is omnipotent, which means what? All-powerful. Our God is immutable. Another way to say what? Unchanging. Unchanging, right? He cannot change. There's no change in God. God is invincible. He's unconquerable he's perfect he likes nothing and nothing can be added to him to make him better god can't be improved upon god has promises he has promised to forgive our sins first john 1 9 says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness not some but all did god promise and then lie can he promise and then lie can our union with god be changed will it one day be annulled or go away or voided hebrews 10 23 reminds us commands us encourages us to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful notice the the language uh the command, hold fast, this, this confession, um, without wavering. And it doesn't, this verse doesn't point to um, the strength of your will to hold fast the confession without wavering or um, your own ability to just be faithful. It says, for he, why? For God who has promised is faithful. So the, the unwavering holding fast of the confession of the believer truth of God's promises is grounded in the faithfulness of not the believer, but of God. God is faithful. He's the one who has promised. And then uh, Romans 8, 31 to 39. How much time do we have there? Let me have someone read that verse for us or those, those verses. I got you. Go for it. Thank you. What then? Shall we say to these things, if God is for us, who is against us? Uh, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? 
God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes. Rather, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you. Glorious promises there in Romans 8 again. Uh, something to think about, meditate on, write down, remember, recite, you know, pray. Um, glorious promises there in Romans 8, 31 to 39. Now, let's uh, close by, um, again, thinking more about union with Christ. Um, really, what I have there under union with Christ in your note sheet is resource for you. So you'll see have a couple of verses, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, and then Colossians 1, 13 through 14. So I love that verse. Deliver from the domain of darkness and transfer to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then just backing up quick to 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive right so communicating union with christ we have this mysterious union with christ by the spirit as if we as as we uh, as man by nature have this mysterious union with adam right who represents all mankind um, all are in adam so in christ shall all be made alive uh, those who are in Christ have union with him. They're regenerated. They have a new heart, a new mind. They are new creatures in Christ. So our union, our, 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 all the privileges of salvation, um, all the blessings uh, that, we will, that we experience now and will we'll experience then come by virtue of our union with Christ. <clears throat> and then you'll see there's a bunch of bullet points in thinking about union with Christ. Chosen by God and given new life. Those verses communicate union with Christ. Our justification comes out of our union with Christ. Sanctification, having a new life that uh, where we obey God, comes out of union with Christ by the Spirit. Our new identity in this life and the next. Union with Christ, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, preservation of the saints, the bodily resurrection, glorification in the future. All of these uh, promised Uh, benefits, blessings, privileges that the believer experiences come by virtue of our union with Christ. We won't read through all of those, but just note that actually I pulled that um, gotquestions.org has a nice little compartmentalized um, uh, page there where they uh, highlight scriptures in connection with these different promises of scripture. So it's really, really helpful. Um, And then again, thinking about this class. So 
We're finishing uh, the part of our book that deals with the perfections, the attributes of God. And next week, Lord willing, uh, Kyle will pick up and we'll think about. So the title of our book is what? Deity and Decree. So next week we'll pick up. And from there to the end of the class, they can think about God's decrees, the holy, providential, sovereign decrees of God. What does that mean? What does that look like? What does scripture say about that? How does that inform our worship, our prayer? <clears throat> and so as we sort of close out this section, I want you to, I don't know if you guys hold on to these handouts or not, but um, hold on to, to them and hold on to this one and just highlight what, where you see in that area from chosen by God to glorification in the future, just to have those scriptures in mind, uh, to just think about them, pray, meditate on them, just Keep them in the pocket. But as we conclude this part of the book, at least, we want to remember that our union with God is a Trinitarian covenantal union. Our salvation should be understood in Trinitarian terms. We've talked a lot about this. Uh, we've gone deep. We've gone wide. We've gone high. Um, we've talked a lot about this. We, we, want to, want to have, we want to put into your minds and to have in ours, as those communicating this, that our God is triune your salvation is trinitarian father son and holy spirit our obedience take, takes place in a trinitarian context we are kept believing by god we obey god because the spirit is not only sanctifying us but it's also by the spirit that our obedience is made acceptable to god through jesus christ and so everything um, that the believer um, understands about his salvation, about the Bible, uh, regeneration, sanctification, the church even, um, belongs to God. And when we say God, what do we mean? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, our one triune God. Okay? Ephesians 1.3. <clears throat> let's read that together. This is, let's praise Praise to God. Ephesians 1 3. You ready? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let that propel us into a new year um, and even into worship as we get ready to go into the corporate worship room. Let me, uh, let me pray for us. And we'll close our, our time together. Lord, you are blessed indeed. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you are worthy of praise and honor and glory. Um, we, we love you, Lord. Um, we are known by you, and it is a privilege that we, we know you um, intimately. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to sharpen our gaze, our vision of our triune God. I pray that you would help us to think consistently about you as you are, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Praising you as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Praying to you, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would help us and uh, grow us in, in devotion in, in confession, um, in belief, and conviction, and as a body together, 
as we um, continue to, to think about these things, uh, these, these aren't truths that or doctrines that we, we visit once and walk away from um, with a grasp that's usually unshaken, but we have to revisit these things over and over and uh, pursue a knowledge of you in this way. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that, that you would uh, strengthen our grip of your promises uh, because of your faithfulness, Lord. Let us, let us remember that. And um, may we grow in, in a love for, for you, Lord. Uh, praise be to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, for you are worthy to be praised. Our glorious uh, God, who is above all, there is no God compared that, that compares to you. Uh, we thank you and we worship you. Amen. <laughs>